Well, we're doing a sermon series to unpack our big rock of engaging heartfelt worship. Because I hope you realize it doesn't just matter that you worship God. I hope you do. That's a great start. It matters how you worship God. And so the Bible actually has a lot to say about it, starting with singing. Last week, we jumped into how Christianity, more than any other religion, has always included so much singing for a reason. But now today, I want us to talk about how it matters what we do with our bodies as we worship. In other words, I want us to touch on and see what the Bible has to say about bowing, kneeling, and even falling prostrate. In his presence. But even as I say that, I know some of you are thinking, what? Because we live in a culture where we rarely ever bow or kneel or fall prostrate before anyone. But you need to realize throughout history, throughout history, this was oh so common whenever there was a king. And guess what? God is not just our father. He's not just our creator. He is our sovereign king who rules and reigns over us and this entire universe. And so it's most appropriate for us to bow and kneel and even fall prostrate. Something was lost, you guys, I do believe, between Greek Orthodox and Christian and some of the denominations when we lost the kneeling bench. You think about even Protestant gathering places are not even designed for you to easily get on your knees as if we won't. Now, I know the other ditch to fall into is you're up and down and up and down and you're not thinking about it and it doesn't mean anything. But, oh, we've lost Something because we are created physical, spiritual, emotional, and as your body goes, very often your emotions in your heart, your body can signal something to you. I hope you haven't lost this. We're going to talk about it today. The place to start is at home. I hope at least at home sometimes you just turn around and get out of your chair and get on your knees. I know the older you get, I'm on, I'm, I'm standing here today on Advil and a leave. But And my rule is always, don't go down if you can't get up by yourself. Do not go down if you can't get up. But oh, there's something good about it when I just turn around, get out of my chair, and get on my knees. Or in the love scene in our bedroom, and get on my knees. It signals something good. Because here's what I want us to do. Just like last week with singing, we talked about how singing is not just for him. He's not some egomaniac. It's good for, say it, us. So let's answer this question. How is bowing or kneeling or even falling prostrate before him good for us? Because he's not just some kind of egomaniac that so needs it and demands it and loves to see us like that. How is bowing helpful to us, good for us? Because realize he is a good God, and so he calls us to do things that are good for us. How's it good? Well, number one, number one, bowing shows that you know you're not in control. Oh, listen, we say it glibly. Well, I know I'm not in control. And then we live trying to be in control, right? Woo! I know I'm not in control. Bowing shows that you're actually starting to get a hold of it. And you really know it. Because here's what I hope you realize. Do you realize you were never designed, human being, woman in the image of God, man in the image of God. You were never designed created or equipped to be in control. You were designed and created to be in relationship 
with the one who is. And the sooner you know it and display it and delight in it, not like just, you know it and you delight in it. Guess what? The better you'll do in life. Bowing shows you know it. I mean, think about it. Anytime you walk into a room, you enter a room full of people you don't know, bustling with activity and noise, especially if it's in a time of crisis. How do you know who to look to? How do you decide who's in, co- who's in control, who's in charge? Well, you would never say, I'm going to look to her because she's on her knees with her head bowed. I'm going to look to him. Because he's on the ground, stretched out on his face. He must be in charge. Why would you never conclude that? Because these are postures of humility, surrender, and weakness. Rather than authority and control. And that's why it's oh so appropriate for us and good for us to take this posture in his presence. Bowing. I'm not in control. I'm not in control, but you are. I'm not in control, but you are. And so it is something we can lose. And so if you've lost sight, and here's what I want you to to understand Oh, yes, the tenderness and familiarity of a father is wonderful. Don't lose that. Hang on to it. But guess what? The majesty and power and authority of a sovereign king is just as good for us. And so... If we're not careful, we tend to pick and choose. I'll take Father God. I'll pass on the whole king thing. Oh, don't do that. There's a reason God reveals himself to us as he does. We need every aspect and attribute of God. He's all of this. He's not either or. He's all of this. And if you let go of sovereign, almighty king, guess what? Tender, familiar, near at hand father doesn't mean as much. Does that make sense? When you realize this king calls me by name and calls me a daughter and knows me and yeah, hold on to all of it. We need all of it. It's all helpful and necessary for us. And so if you've lost sight, I hate to say it, but very often Christian radio overemphasizes, I believe, near and dear and familiar. It's true. I love it. Emmanuel, God, what? With us. Father God. But when you lose sight of holy, high and lifted up, incomprehensible, almighty, then all of this becomes, yeah, okay, whatever. If you've lost sight of How he's our sovereign king who rules and reigns over us. Go to Revelation chapter 4. And let me show you what the throne room of almighty God looks like. Let me show you what the throne room of almighty God looks like. Go to Revelation chapter 4. Revelation chapter 4. Beginning in verse 1, after this I looked, and behold, a door standing open in heaven, and the first voice which I heard speaking to me like a trumpet. Remember I touched on last week. You go to the scriptures to see what's going on in the heavenlies, and it is, it's just loud. It's loud. Like a trumpet. That said, come up here and I'll show you what must take place after this. At once I was in the spirit and behold, a throne stood 
in heaven with one seated on the throne and he who sat there had the appearance of Jasper and Carnelian and around the throne was a rainbow that had the appearance of an emerald. Around the throne were 24 thrones and seated on the thrones were 24 elders clothed in white garments with golden crowns on their heads. From the throne came flashes of lightning and rumblings and peals of thunder And before the throne were burning seven torches of fire, which are the seven spirits of God. And before the throne there was, as it were, a sea of glass like crystal. And around the throne and on each side of the throne are four living creatures full of eyes in front and behind. The first living creature like a lion. The second creature like an ox. The third living creature with the face of a man. And the fourth living creature like an eagle in flight. And the four living creatures, each of them with six wings, are full of eyes all around and within. And day and night, they never cease to say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God. Say it. Almighty. Oh, get this. Who was and is and is to come. And whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who's seated on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the elders say, wow, that's good. No, no, no. The 24 elders fall down before him who is seated on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They cast their crowns before the throne saying, worthy are you, O Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things and by your will they existed and were created. In other words, he created all things. He sustains all things, and he is almighty over it all. That's our God. Sovereign king, king, king. Oh, as you get a glimpse of God, not just as your father, but as our sovereign king ruling and reigning over it all, you'll see that in this chapter, the word throne is used 14 times. The word Lord, God, say it, almighty Almighty is used nine times. In one chapter, 14 times, there's a throne, there's a throne, there's a throne. Why? He's a king, he's a king, he's a king. And he's not just Father God. He's Lord, God, almighty. Lord God almighty. Which is why the human elders fall down before him knowing he's in control and we are not. He's worthy. He's worthy. But oh, could we not all agree in our most honest moments? Oh, We so resist coming to grips with this truth, do we not? That we're not in control. Could any of you say, my whole life I've never wanted to be in control. I was just born this way. I just go with the flow. Yeah, let others be in control and I don't care what happens to me, said no one ever. Oh, we so resist coming to grips with this. No matter how many times, think about it. We live in a world that reminds us regularly we're not in control. And yet we still don't let go of it. No matter how many times the world spins out of control. Anybody remember anything odd that happened in 2020? Oh, that's right. Worldwide pandemic. Shut down industry. Changed the way we relate to people. Changed rules and protocols forever. Just like that. Yet we resist, no matter how many times the world spins out of control, we still try to predict what's going to happen next. Why? Because we so want to control what happens next. Even secular thinkers, I love it when I can find unbelievers saying some of the things that the Bible teaches, and every now and then they do. Why? Because it's just so obvious. Every now and then they choose to articulate exactly what the Bible 
has already been saying for a long time. Every now and then they will point out how tenaciously we cling to the lie. If we could predict it, we can control it. And so no matter how many times our predictions, right, we're in a new year, no matter how many times our predictions blow up before the first quarter of the year is over, they do it all over again in a new year. One social commentator, unbeliever, one social commentator called it our prediction addiction. We're given to addictions, whether it's drugs or television or food, But guess what one of our biggest addictions is? This prediction, addiction, prediction, addiction. We'll study, we'll survey, we'll dig into it. Experts will look at all the data so that they can tell us what is likely to happen next. Prediction, addiction. But here's what it does. The prediction, addiction, and I'm gonna step on some toes here, but I love you and I wanna help you The prediction addiction keeps us glued to talk radio. Talk radio. And anyone we think can tell us what's gonna happen next. But here's what I want you to notice. I wish you would notice. They don't just tell us what's gonna happen next. They also tell you what you should buy from one of their sponsors that will get you ready for what's gonna happen next. Who listens and becomes addicted to all that without doing some of what they're telling you should do next? And it leaves you with water barrels and food and gold and an underground shelter, spending money you didn't have to do, right? Let's, oh, listen to me. This fear and prediction industry, and that's what it is, it's an industry, is a billion dollar industry that just continues to thrive no matter how many times they're wrong. They never say, oh, wow, we were so wrong. We should stop doing this. Said no one ever. I'm old enough. I lived through Y2K. Oh! We were at Dixie High School. Some of our church members were just pummeling us. Why haven't we divided the church by the alphabet? A through M should do food and someone should do Why aren't the elders doing something? We prayed. We talked. We said we ain't doing nothing. <laughs> Saved ourselves a lot of money. Bunch of families were left with 50-gallon blue plastic thing. Yeah, we woke up January 1st, year 2000, nothing had changed. We woke up March 2020, everything had changed and nobody saw it coming. That's the world we live in. That's the world we live in. Do not hear what I'm not saying. I have health insurance. I have retirement. It is not a sin to plan. It is a sin to obsess and think you will take care of yourself, and if I could listen to the right people and spend the right amount of money, I will be okay. That's a lie. You will be okay when you know the one who is in control is in it with you, with you, with you. Nothing can separate us from him. He's in it with us. Just a few years ago, Columbia University humanities professor, not a Christian, Mark Lilla, wrote a blunt editorial in the New York Times where he said this, quote, people facing immediate danger want to hear an authoritative voice they can draw assurance from. Oh, would you look at me a minute? Could I offer you an authoritative voice? Oh, this is such a good voice. And yet we've got Christians even that are ignoring this. It just sits there while they obsess over a podcast and someone that they're convinced is so wonderful. You got to listen to, you got to listen to. Oh, do you listen to, do you listen to? I want to say, do you listen to this? Authoritative voice, the one who was and is and what is to There's only one person that's already out in the future and knows exactly what's happening. I would love for you to hear from him. Spend time with him. Get to know him. And trust him. Trust him. They want an authoritative voice they can draw assurance from. They want to be told what will occur, how they should prepare, and that all will be well. I love this next sentence. 
We are not designed, it seems, to live in uncertainty. He's a, he's a social guy. He's looking around at people and he's concluding, it looks like we just weren't designed to live with uncertainty. Human beings don't do well. It's true. But the answer isn't figure out how you'll be certain about everything. It's that you be in relationship, the one who is absolutely certain and never has ever said the phrase, I wonder, I wonder. Or now to the cherubim and seraphim, I intended to do this, but now I can't because of that. He has never, ever said that. You were designed to live in the midst of uncertainty with a relationship with God through his son that makes you certain it will be okay because I know him. He's for me. He's with me. He's in it with me. He's not outside shouting encouragement. He's in it with me. We're not designed, it seems, to live in uncertainty. Not only do we want knowledge of the future, we want it when we want it. At some level, people must be thinking that the more they learn about what is predetermined, the more control they will have. This is an illusion. Said an unbeliever, this is an illusion. This is an illusion. Human beings want to feel, I love this, human beings want to feel that they are on a power walk into the future when in fact they are always only tapping their cane on the pavement in the fog. Oh, you don't have to like it, my friend, but that is absolutely true and lines up with the Bible. What the Bible teaches, you are ever only tapping your cane on the pavement in the fog. So let me tell you what we do have. Oh, that will absolutely change your life. Do you realize you can have God with you? You can have God in the fog with you. And that will change your life. Because instead of just tapping your cane, you ready? You're holding his hand, trusting him as he leads you in the fog. Some of you wonder why your prayers don't get answered. Let me help you. You keep praying that he would lift the fog and show you the next hundred steps. Never gonna happen. He never promised to lift the fog. He promised to join you in it. He sees all the way through it. And for you to trust him and walk with him. He called, the, the, the words they, the Bible uses about us are not that flattering. It doesn't say we're geniuses. It says we're children. It doesn't say we're Australian sheepdogs, super smart. It says we're sheep, super stupid. And sheep need a shepherd, not a podcast. A shepherd, a shepherd. Oh, he's good, he's good, he's good. You can have God in the fog with you. No longer just tapping your cane, holding his hand, trusting him as he leads you in it. I know some of you are thinking, oh, bummer, it's not what I want. Well, it's what we're offered, and listen to me, it's so good. The older I get, the more people I dearly love that get added to my life, I've got grandkids now. You think I don't have concerns about our world? Guess what? It hasn't driven me to podcasts. It's driven me to the same father that was good for me in my marriage, the same father that was good for me with some prodigal kids, the same God that was good for me with young adults. The same God now is exactly who I need with grandkids. He's good. He's in it with me. He's in it with you. You'll never be in control. No matter who you listen to, or how much money you spend. But you could be in relationship with the one who is. Now, I know some of you are pushing back, saying, but I'm a Christian and I still, can you be a Christian and hardly know the God I'm talking about? Yes. Not saying you're on your way to hell. I'm saying you don't know him. How do you get to know someone? You've got to spend time 
with them. How do you get to know someone? You've got to know what they say. How would you know what he says? Oh, hello. You read the Bible. Oh, this is basic Christianity 101. But it never gets old because it never stops being exactly what we need. You got to know him. Daniel 11.32, bonus. It says, the people who know their God will gain new strength and do great exploits. Doesn't say the people who are saved and not on their way to hell. Oh no, they can still just run freaking out, scared, crumbling, folding up like a cheap lawn chair because they don't know him. The people who know, and, and what kind of God is he? Their God will gain new strength and do great exploits. As we, as we head into 2024, another new year, I think it's a great day to be a Christian. It's a great day to be a Christian because it is so chaotic and is so confusing and is so frightening and is so dark. Therefore, truth stands out. The gospel is attractive. This message we have has never been more needed and has never been more attractive. Young people have not stopped coming to our campuses because they know there's revival going on at UC, University of Cincinnati. I've got campus outreach people that I pray for and support. They've never seen this level of response before. Why? Students are arriving saying, is there anything that I can count on? Is there anything outside of this world? They're coming in droves to the gospel message to hear a presentation of the gospel because they want to know, is there someone who knows me? Is there someone in control? Is there something that could settle me? Because in many cases, they've already tried what the world offers. Oh, there is. Oh, there is. It is a great day, not just to be a Christian, but to know him and then tell others about him. Oh, he has us here for such a time as this. Many of you know, but almost two years ago now, and I have permission to share this. I usually don't use names, but she said, please use names because I'd like to thank our whole church family. They go to the Independence Campus. Two years ago, January 2022, Kevin and Chris Rohr, family in our church, received news that no parent ever wants to hear standing in a children's hospital room. They heard the news that their seven-year-old daughter, Adeline, has cancer. Cancer. Now, just think of the emotions you would have, how that would strike you, how that would perhaps overwhelm you. Then they told me this. They said this. The truth, standing in that room when this news arrived, the truth of God being sovereign and in control, because they've been in our church over a decade, they said it this way, was an immediate and huge comfort. 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 She said this in her email to me, and, and in the sovereignty of God, I had just kicked off the new year with the big rock of sovereignty, Some of you were here. I literally had our church family stand and I just read one after another. Big, God is in control, sovereign passages. Not for 50 minutes, but for about nine. And you could feel the effect of just being reminded, this is what the Bible says about God. And then I had just done that the Sunday before they learned this news. And so she said this to me, quote, I wanted to reach out and thank you. She sent me this email in January 2022, the week they learned Adeline has cancer. I wanted to reach out and thank you for your sermon last week. Although I've been at Grace for over a decade now, I never grow tired of being reminded in such a direct, comprehensive, and scriptural way that God is sovereignly ruling over creation. I too find this doctrine the most life-changing. I've said that so many times. This is the most life-changing doctrine in my life second to getting saved. She says, I agree. She said, I find this doctrine the most life-changing for me second only to the gospel itself. It has comforted me in various trials over the course of my life, but none more 
than learning that my sweet daughter has cancer. I will never forget that late night in the consolation room at Children's Hospital when the oncologist delivered the life-altering news to me while my husband Kevin listened on speakerphone. Of course I was crying my eyes out. But I was able to say out loud that God is in control. It wasn't a surprise to him and that most of all, he is still good. I never thought, so some of you are thinking, I don't know that I could do that. She admits, I didn't know that I would either. She says, I never thought I'd be able to declare that under such a trial. But by God's grace and continual reminders from his word and your preaching, I did. So thank you for reminding us directly year after year and peppering it into so many of your sermons. Now, let me help you here. Do you know why I can pepper it into so many of my sermons? Because it's all over the Bible. It's just everywhere if you would submit to it and acknowledge it. Like, well, there's God sovereign. Well, there's God sovereign. Well, there's God in control. Here's good news. It's been two years And Adeline just completed her last in-clinic treatment, and they removed her port. And so she wanted me to thank you. And it's it's been another one of those. I mean, our church family has rallied around them, has prayed treatment by treatment for them, has loved them and cared for them. And they're like, that's what a church family is for. They said, we've thanked Independence, but please just thank the whole church family. We have God in it with us, and guess what you also need that too many Christians have checked out on? You need a real church family around you, walking with you, walking with you. Let me show you another reason bowing is good for us. Number two, bowing shows that you haven't gotten over what he's done. It shows that you know he's in control and you're not, but it shows that you also have not gotten over what he's done, you know what he's done. You know what he's done, you know what he's done. Here's what I think is so neat. Revelation chapter four, we read a chunk of it, gives us sovereign king, creator, almighty God. And the very next chapter, Revelation five, gives us what that sovereign king, almighty God, didn't have to do but did, gave his Son for his son left this throne room, took on flesh, and came into this world to do for us what we could never do for ourselves. Go to Revelation 5 now. Just turn one more chapter over. Revelation chapter 5. Revelation chapter 5, beginning in verse 6. You're going to see throne again. But now you're going to see another main character that we didn't see in chapter 4. You'll see it over and over. And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a, say it, lamb lamb standing as though it had been slain. And I want you to know there are six different words in the original Greek language the New Testament was written in for death or killed. One of them, and the Holy Spirit shows that for right here, means to be slaughtered and violently killed. I hope you realize that's what happened to her. I know, I know the cross has become jewelry for us, and I'm not saying it's a sin to do that. But you guys, Jesus didn't just die. He was slaughtered. It was one of the most horrific ways you could die in all the history of mankind. The Romans had perfected the most horrific, ghastly, awful, drawn out, painful way to die. And our God gave his son to go through that for you and for me. A lamb as though it had been slain with seven horns, with seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And he went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. 
So God the Son is taking a scroll from God the Father, and he went and took the scroll. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the Lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you have ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. We don't have to wonder, you guys, is anybody going to get saved? I hope somebody gets saved. Is anybody going to say yes to this good news? Oh, listen, my friends, they are. They are. He purchased for his father men and women from every, from the darkest corner. The reason we do missions, we go knowing God goes before us by his spirit. And people from every tribe and tongue and language are going to be there on that final day. It doesn't matter what communists try to do. It doesn't matter, no matter what any government tries to do. The best thing that happened to China is when they shut it all down, kicked out the missionaries and said it's illegal and it blew up with Christianity. You cannot stop the power of the gospel or God's spirit. Locked doors and closed countries don't stop what God does because he promised to do it. So we just get to get in on what God's doing. Whether it's at the gym right here in Florence or somewhere local or praying for our missionaries somewhere, or yea, verily going, or giving money to help it go, or giving money to help campus outreach students, workers share the gospel. You guys, let's get in on what God's doing, because God's doing amazing things. That word ransom means to buy back, to pay a purchase price for someone. Jesus paid it. Jesus paid it all so that people could be set free from bondage to Satan and sin and hell and darkness. He ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation, and you've made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. Then I looked, and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders the voice of many angels numbering myriads of myriads and thousands and thousands with a what kind of voice? With a loud voice, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying, to him who sits on the throne and to the, say it, lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, amen, and then fell down and worshiped. Revelation chapter four shows you the sovereign king. And then chapter five should just blow you away as you see what that sovereign king king did for you that you could never do for yourself he didn't owe it to us he didn't have to do it you didn't earn it he freely graciously merciful lavished it on us and solved our biggest problem the sin problem that separated us from a holy holy god and that's why 28 times in the book of revelation 28 times in the book of Revelation, Jesus is referred to as the lamb, the lamb. That's why John the Baptist, when he saw him on earth coming, he said, behold, the what? Lamb of God, who's gonna do what? Take away the sins of the world. No more need for a sacrifice of a lamb, a sheep, a bull, a goat. The lamb of God, the lamb of God. The the final, all-sufficient, one and done sacrifice. 28 times. In fact, all the major themes that run through the book of Revelation, 
surround the lamb. You'll see it all through Revelation. You'll see the blood of the lamb, the bride of the lamb, the marriage supper of the lamb where we're headed. And you'll see the throne of God and of the lamb. It is all about the lamb. He's the main character. He's the main character. He's the main character. Because he did what we could never, ever do. And so not once, but twice in this chapter, the elders Humans get up and fall down before him to worship him for doing what they could never do. If you are here and you say you are a Christian, you think you're saved, you think you know him, you think you're born again, and this no longer stirs you or moves you, to gratitude or even weeping at points, that could probably be one of the best things you could do this year. Just say, God, bring it back. I never should have gotten it over it. I've gotten too consumed with other things. I've gotten distracted. I've gotten overwhelmed. I've, I'm making too much of something else. Bring it back. What you did for me. Because you guys, again, this, he's good. He's not some, it's not that he so needs the praise. You so need the perspective and to give it. Are we changed as we praise? Are we changed as we express gratitude? The giving of thanks changes you. When you stop being grateful, in many ways you stop being human and all that he created us to be. We're supposed to be grateful, 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 grateful. A grateful person is, is continually thanking God for what they have. An ungrateful person stays focused on what they don't have they think they deserve. It'll change how you treat people. It'll change how you respond to life. And start with, there's other things that you could add to that gratitude list, but oh, start with your salvation. What he's done, what he's done that can never be undone. Can you imagine that? I do imagine that. Gets me excited. I cannot become unsaved. That is really good news because there's all kinds of things I have that I don't know I'll have tomorrow. It could be gone. It could be lost. It could be taken from me. This cannot be taken from me. The work he begins in you, he will finish. And he, go to John 10, not really, but it's where we say it. He holds you in his hands. That's what he says. I give them eternal life and they shall never, what? He says, you're in the hand of Jesus that's in the hand of God the Father. That's the kind of security you have when you get saved. That'll help you in this life. But let me give you one more. Benefit, blessing, good thing for us with bowing. Number three, bowing shows that you long for more of what he could do. Look at what's going on here. Bowing shows that you know he's in control and you're not. Great start. Bowing shows that you haven't gotten over what he's done. And when you really get excited about that and stay excited, it moves to this. Bowing shows that you long for more of what he could do. Go to Ephesians chapter 3. I'll show you what I'm talking about. Ephesians chapter 3, beginning in verse 14. This is one of Paul's great prayers. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 14, the Apostle Paul. For this reason. Now, look at me just a minute. We're jumping into the middle of a thought here. For this reason, and he literally says, I bow my knees. He doesn't mean metaphorically. He's literally saying, I had to get up. I had to get up and get down on my knees at this point. For this reason, what reason? Well, you would need to go home, and before the Super Bowl starts, read Ephesians 1, 2, and 3. It'd be worth it. He is saying this after he has just walked through one of the longest run-on sentence known to mankind, where he's just said what the gospel's done. Oh, he's blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, just as God chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we might be adopted and blessed us and marked us and given us an inheritance in the Holy Spirit. <laughs> And you're like, oh my 
goodness, when he gets done and takes a breath, I mean, chapter two is like, and you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins in which you once walked according to the course of this world, but now you who far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. When you get done with that, when he got done with that, he said, for this reason. Guess where he is while he, while he writes this. So he's not saying, for this reason, I'm in such a cush place right now. And based on my circumstances and how things are working out, where is Paul as he writes Ephesians? Hello. He still had to get up and get on his knees when he finished recounting and drinking in and revisiting all that God has done in his son for us through the God. I bow my knees before the Father from whom every family in heaven and earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit and your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, here's what we need, that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do. If you got the ESV, what are the next two words? Say it loud. Are there like five of you with the ESV? Far more, far more, far more. If you don't mind marking your Bible, circle that. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think according to the power at work within us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Here's what I want you to realize just happened. And it could happen to you. It happens to me on a regular basis. And I'm a sinner. I'm a sinful human being just like you. I'm not in a different category than you. What just happened to Paul is that he went from praying to singing and soaring into another doxology. Remember last week in 1 Timothy 1? He went from talking about the gospel and how God had shown mercy on him to worship. Now to the king eternal, immortal, invisible, to God only wise, be glory forever and ever. It just happened again because he's on his knees thanking God for what he's done. And let me tell you something. When you truly, truly are overwhelmed and grateful for what he's done, God rarely ever says, you're welcome. You know what he does? Until he knows that you actually appreciate and are taking in what he's done, he doesn't lead you to a, a new place. He doesn't say you're welcome. He almost always says, there's more. But there's more. There's more. What Paul is saying is, you will never, ever fully grasp how much he loves you. The height and depth and width and breadth. And he's not saying don't try. He's saying, oh, please go there, but you'll never be done. There's more, and you will never exhaust the power of God for you, that same power that raised Jesus from the dead, that same power that changed your destination from hell to heaven is with you now. There's more. There's more God wants to do, and there's more he wants to show you of how much he loves you. When you know he loves you, it gives you security and assurance and identity in a way that nothing else can. Don't attach it to a boyfriend or a girlfriend or a spouse or a grandchild or your bank account or your success or your likes on social media. When you know the depth and height and breadth and width of the love and you're like, oh my goodness, you begin to sing and soar and praise him knowing there's more. Gratitude on your knees opens the door to more. I don't have it happen every week. And I don't chase emotions either. I hope you know that. But I don't resist them. I've been on my knees thanking God for stuff and have just headed into another level of praise and worship where I just laughed out loud, wept, and was just swept up and overwhelmed by who he is 
in my life. Now, do you think that helped me when I got up off my knees and still had all the emails from you? Yes, it did. It really did. All that I know and all that's going on and all that's mine to deal with and all that. Oh, it changes you when you don't just pray, but you sing and soar. Bowing shows you know you're not in control. It shows you haven't gotten over what he's done. And it shows that you know there's more. Oh, he could do more. God is not limited. He's infinite. You'll never get to the end of your understanding of whatever. There's more. But as a close, I want you to know this. Guess what? Bowing also, my friend, gets you ready for where we're headed. Oh, listen to me. You may never choose to bow your knee in this life and call him Lord, but you will do it in the next. It'll be the first thing you do. And it doesn't mean then you'll go to heaven. If you never bowed the knee and confessed him as Lord here, you will not go to heaven. But you will bow the knee every Every human being, every living creature, Philippians 2 says, will bow the knee and confess that Jesus Christ is, say it, Lord. Oh, my friend, do it now. If you don't know Christ, if you're not a Christian, bow now, confess now, and have your life changed now and Christian oh get refocused now spend some time on your knees crying out to him for what you can't control thanking him for what he's done and then asking him to give you greater understanding that there's more of his love and more of his power oh God thank you thank you for not just being father For not just being creator, but for being sovereign king who rules and reigns over us. And oh, how we need it. We need it. Thank you for being God in the fog with us. With us. Lord, settle us. Settle us in you. Lead us to trust you more. To grip your hand in the face of darkness and confusion and chaos, that we might look like peculiar people, that someone would say, what is up with you? Why do you have peace? Why do you have joy? And then we could tell them, we could be ready to give an answer for the hope that's in us. Oh my goodness, I'm in relationship with the God of the universe through his son, Jesus Christ, who died for me, and you could have that too. Let me tell you about it. You could have that too. Use us for your glory. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.